Hello and welcome to a Thursday afternoon edition of Bill's Facebook Lessons. I'm coming to you from a very chilly Tyler, Texas in Northeast Texas. It's uh, probably not chilly by some of your standards, but for this San Antonio boy, chilly enough. I think our temps all day today have been in the 40s, which to me is a little bit on the cool side. But I'm glad that you're joining me. I appreciate you being a part of these lessons and <clears throat> the encouragement that uh, I receive from knowing that you are watching and uh, hopefully that this is helping and I hope that it is encouraging uh, to you as well. Uh, today on Thursdays we're going through a book by uh, uh, Timothy and Kathy Keller, uh, The Songs of Jesus, a book on the Psalms, kind of looking at them a bit from Jesus' perspective. It was the song book and prayer book for the Jews of Jesus' day and uh, many other days as well. And so uh, today we find ourselves in, in two great passages. We find ourselves in uh, Psalms 22 and 23. I put a little blurb out. Everyone knows the 23rd Psalm that starts out, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And what a wonderful, beautiful chapter that is, and it certainly is. Uh, but not very many know about Psalm 22, but I bet that you know the first line out of that psalm. Psalm 22, verse 1 says this, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We know that those are Jesus' words, some of them from the cross. We have seven statements of Jesus from the cross in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And that's one of them. And we get the fact that he felt deserted and forsaken, and certainly he was. But at the same time, he called out to his father, who he felt had uh, forsaken him as well. And to an extent, that is the truth. Uh, he, he deserted his own son so that he wouldn't have to forsake you and me because of our sins. Uh, at any moment, God could have put a stop to it, and yet he did not. And Jesus cries out, uh, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I do believe that he felt forsaken at that moment, even by his father. But I also believe that he was thinking of this psalm, Psalm 22. Why do you think that, Bill? Well, you'll find out as we continue to read it. Uh, again, verse 1, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. And you, our ancestors, put their trust. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm, not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. Verse 7, All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. You're beginning to see now why Jesus was thinking of this psalm, because all of those things were happening all around him. I do believe that Psalm 22 was written uh, hundreds of years before Christ, and it was written by someone who, who was suffering physically and emotionally and spiritually. And they were crying out to God for deliverance, but God was not delivering them, and they felt forsaken and deserted by the Lord. And so they cried out to him, as psalmists do very honestly, asking him why had he forsaken him. 
and acknowledging the difficulties that he was facing. It sounds like he had physical maladies, and we'll see that more as we read through the rest of the psalm, but also that he had enemies all around him. And it's, it's interesting to me that the Jewish leaders that were prancing around the cross of Christ saying these exact things, that they wouldn't be reminded of this psalm and of the one who was suffering um, Jesus answered every one of Satan's assaults during the temptation in Matthew 4 and Luke 4 uh, with passages from Deuteronomy. And on the cross, he quotes uh, this verse from Psalm 22 as well. Um, and, and so it's God's word that is sustaining Jesus even as the breath is taken out of him. Even as he feels forsaken, he still feels connected to his Father, and to his word. We continue reading in Psalm 22, beginning at verse 9. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast on you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near, and there is no one to help. Many bulls surround me. Strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Roaring lions that tear their prey open their mouths wide against me. And you think, yeah, I'm sure that's how Jesus felt. But listen to these words that start from verse 14 of Psalm 22. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It is melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. I think there are some things about this chapter that the psalmist didn't experience. I don't see how he could have. But Jesus experienced them all. He suffered that great physical pain of dehydration and um, the, the bones sticking out and all of that in this horrible, horrible capital, capital punishment method of crucifixion. And then to add insult to injury, the soldiers there gambled for his clothes because they split up what they could, but there was one that was uh, too nice to tear and so they cast lots to see who got it. And the psalmist saw all of these things in his own day, during his own suffering. And then Jesus, I believe, was encouraged remembering these words uh, from the psalmist. It's not just about dying, but it's, it's an execution, as the Kellers bring out. Um, and they even say this, reading this psalm is like standing on holy ground. It's like being... And on Golgotha itself, Calvary in the Latin, it's like being there at the cross as he died. Psalm 22 continues in verse 19. But you, Lord, be not far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life, from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lion. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. And then the psalmist says this knowing that God will deliver him, or perhaps writing later after his deliverance. Verse 22, I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. 
for he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All is praise in this part. All is praise for the God who delivers. And even though Jesus didn't see those uh, legions of angels come to take him down from the cross, his body did not stay in that tomb, but rather he was resurrected on that third day. The delivered servant now begins a new mission, not of enduring punishment or suffering or execution even, but rather of telling the good news of God's salvation to others. And we call that, at the end of Matthew and Mark, the Great Commission. Acts 1 verse 8, we are called to be witnesses of the great things that God has done for us. The Kellers write, God never calls us in to love and change us without then sending us out to reach and serve others. We are blessed to bless. That was the title of my recent sermon series on the book of Ephesians. We are blessed to bless. Uh, it shouldn't stop with us. It can't stop with us. The message must go on. And as we experience and feel God's presence and deliverance, just as this psalmist did, uh, we are called upon to tell that story and to share that with others. Psalm 22, an incredible psalm that starts out with that, that uh, ominous cry from Jesus on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Um, again, I believe Jesus was thinking of that whole psalm, but he was expressing how he really felt, and the psalmist understood, and Jesus understands our sufferings and our troubles, and he understands when we feel the same, when we feel forsaken by all, even by our Heavenly Father, that in our minds we know is still there, but in our hearts we feel so forsaken. Psalm 22 ends with these words, starting in verse 27. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. Great comforting thought for us today. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive, everyone, rich and poor, Alive or dead, when Jesus comes again, they will all kneel before him. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. What a great thought. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. He has done it. And it is finished, Jesus also cried out from the cross. And even generations long after we're gone will know that story because God's word endures forever. Our mission to the world tells the good news of God's salvation. As Romans 8 says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Uh, there is a, a, a great transition from Psalm 22 to the 23rd Psalm, perhaps one of the most beloved uh, writings in all of human history. I use it at most every funeral service unless I am specifically asked not to. But it is such a comforting, comforting thought, and it's nowhere stated better 
then in the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I lack nothing. I shall not be in want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes and restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. All of these talk about the great blessings that God gives to us. He is our shepherd. And as Jesus describes himself as the good shepherd in John chapter 10, he says the good shepherd not only knows his sheep, he knows them by name, and he lays down his life for the sheep. The psalmist felt that same care. David felt that same care. As a man who was a shepherd himself, he understood what it meant to be watchful over the sheep, to take care of them, to make sure they're in places where they're safe, places where there's soft grass, places where there's water to drink. Verse 4, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. God protects us even when we go through the valley of the shadow of death. We have several in our church family here at West Irwin who are experiencing the loss of loved ones and have over the last several weeks. Others who are worried about their loved ones, perhaps their own uh, health as well. I'm sure it's the same in your church family. And these words are such a great comfort for us. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you, God, are with me. God's everlasting, wonderful presence. Even in the valley of the shadow of death, um, we know that in that darkest of valleys, he is still with us. Um, and he protects us. If not physically at that moment, he didn't keep Jesus from dying. But he will save us through eternity. Just as he raised his son from the dead, he will raise us as well. Whether we see that deliverance and that care and that protection in this life or the next, it is there, my friend. It is there. So much so, verse 5 says, Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Um, even in the midst of our enemies, God sets the table for us and, and prepares it because he's not intimidated by our enemies. It's a great show of sign of fellowship and acceptance. A wonderful story that I read in my doctor of ministry studies on the Lord's Supper told about a man who was fleeing from an enemy and, and he went inside someone's tent and they were sitting at table and they invited him to sit. And when his enemy came and saw him there, he, he went no further because uh, it would be a great dishonor. Uh, to harm that man who is sitting at someone else's table. Well, God prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies, and he anoints us with oil, and our cup runneth over. And so, verse 6, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That great comforting thought. David loved to worship. He loved to worship with his life, but he loved to worship with his brothers and sisters in direct worship, singing songs of praise, praying those prayers, listening to the word of God, being comforted by the presence of the Lord. 
David wanted to live there forever. And the great promise through Jesus Christ is we can. We can. Jesus himself spoke about a great feast as he talked about uh, his return and our eternity in heaven. And that banquet feast, we certainly want to be invited there and want to be ready when that message comes out in the old translation, all things are ready, come to the feast. We want to be ready as well. Jesus is the only shepherd who knows what it's like to be a sheep. John 10 tells us that he is the good shepherd. He knows his sheep. And Hebrews tells us in such a remarkable way, he knows us. He knows our suffering. He knows our difficulties. He even knows what it's like to be tempted. He even knows what it's like to face death and experience death. He is our shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not ever be in want because he is there to provide everything we need and more. Perhaps not everything we want, but everything that he knows we need. Let's pray this great prayer together um, of, uh, that David wrote and prayed um, 3,000 years ago. Oh Lord, you are our shepherd. And we know that we shall never be in want. Father, you protect us, you guide us, you bring us to green pastures, you lead us beside quiet, still waters. You restore and refresh our soul. You lead us, Father, in the paths of righteousness through your word, through the, the guiding hand of your spirit within us. You lead us in the paths of righteousness, not, not just for our sake, but for your name's sake. And Father, even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even when we're there with loved ones that we've lost, even when we come face to face with our own mortality and walk through that valley of the shadow of death ourselves, still you are with us. Your rod and your staff, they comfort us. Uh, you prepare a table for us, a meal in the presence of our enemies, in the midst of the difficulties that we face, Father, you are there providing for us. You anoint our heads with oil. Our cup runs over. Father, we receive showers and showers of blessings from your hand. Surely goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our lives, Father, because you are there. And Father, what we want is what you have assured us through the blood and sacrifice of the good shepherd himself, your son. We will live in the house of the Lord forever. Father, we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope you have a really good weekend, and I look forward to being with you again on Tuesday. God bless.